Kale Clark here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. Mention offer code Relevant Radio and get a free phone. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Happy Mardi Gras to all of you. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Toll free to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show. 888-914-9149. That's right. It's Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras the day before Lent starts. And we're going to have a party today of sorts on The Kale Clark Show. You can also email the show, Kale. C-A-L-E at RelevantRadio.com and follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. We've got lots of great stuff on the show today. We're going to talk about what the Saints saw. A couple of Saints had some pretty wild private revelations about Mardi Gras and, and how that affects Christ, the heart of Christ. And so you're not going to want to miss that. And then later in the show, by now you've no doubt heard, of course you've heard, most of you, about the the tragic murder of Bishop David O'Donnell in Los Angeles and O'Connell, excuse me. And I've got I've got some. It's it's a terrible terrible tragedy, and and the the authorities are still piecing together what might be the motive uh, for this death. Obviously, one person is in custody, who is the husband of the housekeeper of the residence where Bishop O'Connell was living. And so more information will obviously come to light in the coming days. But I do have some reflections about the man himself from someone who knew him well. And you're not going to want to miss this. This is really just beautiful stuff. He was a beautiful soul. So stick around for that later in the program. So once again, the number to call, 888-914-9149. And I want to start with this. I read an interesting piece by um, Andres... Jeromazuk, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, uh, writing for Church Pop. And it's all about a couple of private revelations that happened to St. Faustina Kowalska, of course, the Apostle of Divine Mercy, and St. Margaret Mary Alakokwe, who, of course, is well known for spreading the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And they experienced some pretty amazing visions with respect to Mardi Gras. And, of course, Mardi Gras... Carnival, of course, Carnival means farewell to meat, and uh, uh, there's another kind of flesh, uh, unfortunately, that uh, sometimes gets involved with Carnival, a a lot of sins of the flesh, and um, we do know that all around the world, this is tragically part and parcel of what people are doing today, and over the years in the Catholic Church, over the centuries, a lot of saints have tried to reconcile Carnival with the Catholic faith. St. Philip of Neri, uh, who was quite a saint of mirth in his own right, St. John Bosco, they, and they tried to kind of bridge the gap. However, in light of the, the revelations that St. Faustina Kowalska and St. Margaret Mary, Mary Alacoque experienced, I'm not so sure that that can be done. And so let's start with St. Faustina. What happened with her? Well, in her diary... Divine Mercy in My Soul, her famous diary, there were three times that she talked about revelations that she was given, private revelations. And again, because they are private revelations, you don't need to 
buy into this. If you say, I don't believe it ever happened, that's fine. You can still hold the Catholic faith. It's a private revelation. We only need to believe public revelations of the Catholic Church that are universal for all people at all times. Having said that, there are certainly private revelations that are worthy of your consideration, <laughs> uh, to say the least, and she is a canonized saint, and her message is extremely important, especially for these times and every day on Relevant Radio at 3 p.m. Central on the Drew Mariani Show, which precedes this one, we do pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. And so in February of 1933, this is from her diary, St. Faustina said this, quote, My physical sufferings have intensified. I am uniting myself more closely with the suffering Savior, asking him for mercy for the whole world, which is running riot in its wickedness. Throughout the day, I felt the pain of the crown of thorns. When I lay down, I could not rest my head on the pillow. But at 10 o'clock, the pains ceased and I fell asleep. But the next day, I felt very exhausted. She goes on to say this, quote, During the last days of the Carnival, when I was making a holy hour, I saw how the Lord Jesus suffered as he was being scourged. Oh, such an inconceivable agony, how terribly Jesus suffered during the scourging. Oh, poor sinners, on the day of judgment, how will you face the Jesus whom you are now torturing so cruelly. His blood flowed to the ground, and in some places his flesh started to fall off. I saw a few bare bones on his back. The meek Jesus moaned softly inside. End of quote. So that is from excerpt 188 of her diary, February of 1933. So this is, again, a private revelation, but the ferocity of the scourging of Jesus is something that ought not to be dismissed. And in fact, um, if, if the victim who is depicted in the Shroud of Turin is really Jesus, we see several runes that are consistent with the most brutal portrayals of the scourging that you can imagine in, in art, and especially in the film The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. A lot of people think that he went overboard on the scourging. I don't think so. Based on what I've read about Roman scourgings, I think it was a pretty accurate portrayal of what might have taken place, what did take place, of course, uh, to our Lord himself. But back in, in 1938, she again, this is five years after this diary entry, St. Faustina once again had a similar vision. Here's what she said at that time, quote, During the last two days of Carnival, I experienced the overwhelming flood of chastisements and sins in one instant, the Lord gave me a knowledge of the sins committed throughout the whole world during these days. I fainted from fright, and even though I know the depths of, of God's mercy, I was surprised that God allows humanity to exist, end of quote. Wow, that's, that's pretty powerful. I was surprised that God allows humanity to exist. That, that's harsher words have rarely been spoken, and so... She somehow supernaturally was was given a an inkling of what kinds of sins are going on are being committed throughout the world during the days of Carnival, and she fainted uh, from fright. So, why does God allow humanity to exist? Well, obviously, the only reason why is because 
he wants to have as mercy, as much mercy on as many souls as humanly possible and as divinely possible, which is theoretically everybody, if they repent, if they turn to his divine mercy. And that's the only reason why the Lord hasn't returned. What about St. Margaret Mary, Mary Alacoque? She also had spiritual visions during Carnival, and this is what she said. She said this, quote, During the three days of Carnival, I would have wished to tear myself to pieces in reparation for the outrages perpetrated against his divine majesty by sinners. I fasted on those days as much as possible, on bread and water, and the food that was given to me, I gave to the poor, end of quote. So she obviously started her Lenten fast a little bit early. She was actually fasting during the days of Carnival because of all the incredible sins of the flesh that were happening. And so she said this on, an, on another occasion, quote, Jesus presented himself to her after receiving communion under the figure of Behold the Man. And that's, of course, a, a reference to Jesus before Pilate when he said, Behold the Man. Here he is. What do you want me to do with him? And of course, the crowd said, crucify him. And so he appeared to her loaded with his cross, holding his cross, covered with sores, bruises, and blood uh, flowing from his whole body. And he said this to her in the vision, quote, Will there be no one who has pity on me and wants to feel sorry for me and take part in my pain, seeing the pitiful state in which sinners put me, especially at this time, end of quote. Uh, in 1690, on January the 17th, uh, St. Margaret Mary wrote this, during Carnival, quote, So many sinners offend him and abandon him. It seems to me that this is my time of pain and bitterness in such a way that I cannot see or like anything other than my suffering and abandon Jesus, end of quote. So we, we definitely have to pray uh, for those who are carried away by, by various sins, especially at this time. And it's kind of this misguided notion that uh, people ought to indulge themselves before, quote-unquote, getting serious about their spiritual life. And, of course, the danger with that is that they might never come back. And people often want to say this. And this, I think about the Emperor Constantine, who delayed his baptism until his deathbed because he thought, well, you know, just in case— I decide I have some more some more sinning I want to do. Or St. Augustine who said, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. Not yet. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite done yet. But of course, God snapped him out of it, if you will. It's, it's well known that St. Augustine, while he was kind of in the RCIA program of his day, uh, Bishop Ambrose of Milan was his teacher. Believe it or not, he, he actually had, he had broken up with his, his mistress, uh, with whom he had fathered a child, and, and tragically his son uh, passed away of an illness when he was 16 years old. But St. Augustine was getting his life together. He was dedicating himself to Christ. But during the RCIA program, he took on another mistress. <laughs> That's when he, around the time when he wrote those words, make me pure, but not yet. But God made him to see, no, I have to repent now. I cannot put it off until later. And so much better were his uh, more famous lines in the confessions when he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so no matter what you try to fill the void with, it's not going to work. Uh, only Christ. And so I thought that was really intriguing because I, I hadn't heard about those visions of St. Margaret Mary, St. Faustina, and this idea of 
the holy face of Jesus also plays into today, Mardi Gras. I don't know if you know this, but Pope Pius XII, in 1958, on April the 17th, 1958, Pope Pius XII actually approved a feast of the holy face of Jesus to be celebrated today on Shrove Tuesday. Really intriguing. And this is um, a quote. Uh, this is another private revelation, a lot of private revelations here. And this is um, a revelation that was given by Jesus, allegedly, to Mother Perina. Now, I'm going to tell you who Mother Perina is in just a minute, in 1938. And Jesus said to her this, quote, See how I suffer. Nevertheless, I am understood by so few. What gratitude on the part of those who say that they love me. I have given my heart as a sensible object of my great love for man, and I give my face as a sensible object of my sorrow for the sins of man. I desire that it be honored by a special feast on Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday. The feast will be, pre will be preceded by a novena in which the faithful make reparation with me, uniting themselves with my sorrow. End of quote. It's this idea, and Jesus says in this private revelation to Mother Perina, I've given my face as a sensible, a tangible object of my sorrow for the sins of humanity. And so I don't know if you're in the habit of, of praying this novena to the holy face of Jesus leading up to today, but it's prayed by many Catholics still to this day all around the world. And I did not realize that I'm a fellow learner on the journey uh, with you here. This is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-914. And I don't know if you've heard of this before, but I had not heard that Pope Pius XII had actually made this a feast of the holy face. And where does the holy face come from? A couple of places, obviously. We can think about the veil of Veronica that was used to wipe his face on the way of the cross. And of course, Veronica means true image, and that's the, the true representation of the face of Christ. But also, the Shroud of Turin, that's where this image of the holy face really comes from, and it's been venerated by a lot of saints throughout the ages. I think about St. Therese of Lisieux, or as uh, Penny Lord used to call her, St. Therese of Lisieux. Um, St. Therese of Lisieux, obviously she was called, her actual technical name, her religious name was Sister Therese of the Child Jesus and of the Holy Face. A lot of people forget the Holy Face part because she talks so much about spiritual childhood, and that's really important too. But the Holy Face of Jesus is really important uh, for a lot of different reasons. And more than 30 popes, by the way, I read a piece about this, more than 30 popes have actually talked about not only the authenticity of the Shroud of Turin, but how important it is to have a devotion to the Holy Face. And uh, there's a piece in Census Fidelium about this a, a while back. Pope Pius IX said this, this is what he said, the salutary reparation to the Holy Face of Jesus is a divine work destined to save modern society, end of quote. Wow, that, that's, that's saying a lot. That, that's a big promise, destined to save modern society. So we really, really need to be considering the holy face of Jesus. What about St. Saint, Saint Pius X? We, we just said St. Pius IX. Pope Pius IX uh, said this. What about Pope St. Pius X? He said this. He actually expressed a desire that all Christian families somehow venerate an image of the holy face of Jesus in their homes, in their homes. Pope Pius XI, the next pope, 
he actually would give out holy cards of the holy face. And, and he used the image from the Shroud of Turin, and he would give it, especially to young people, and he would say, quote, these are pictures of the divine son of Mary. That's an interesting way to think about the image on the shroud as, as a picture of the, of the face, really, of the divine son of Mary. They come from that object known as the Shroud of Turin, still mysterious, but certainly not the work of any human hand, end of quote. And I would never argue with that. And in fact, uh, time permitting, later on in the show, I will talk about some of the evidence for the authenticity of the Shroud of Turin. It's, it's phenomenal. I had a professor who studied this in great depth, and I was very, very blessed to, uh, to learn from him about this. Well, Pope Pius XII, who did, of course, set up this feast in 1958, he uh, wanted to spread, obviously, knowledge, veneration of this relic, and he, of course, established the feast uh, on this day, Shrove Tuesday. Pope John XXIII, of course, who convened Second Vatican Council, when he saw the Shroud of Turin, he said this, quote, this can only be the Lord's own doing. And Pope Paul VI, who obviously closed off the council after the death of John XXIII, he also praised uh, the image on the shroud, saying, quote, perhaps the only, per, excuse me, perhaps only the image from the Holy Shroud reveals to us something of the human and divine personality of Christ, end of quote. That, that's, that's an interesting turn of phrase, that, it reveals something of the human and divine personality of Christ through the face of Jesus revealed to the world. So th this is just all over the writings of the popes and also the saints too, not just the popes, but a lot of saints talked about this as well. St. Ambrose, I mentioned him before, he was the teacher of St. Augustine. He said, there is no doubt that Peter received the grace of conversion from the sacred face because those on whom Jesus gazes are always saved. And he was probably thinking about when our Lord turned and looked at Peter, uh, when he betrayed him in the courtyard, denied him three times, cursed him out, cock crowed, of course, and, and, and Peter turned and saw the Lord looking straight at him. And, of course, he's probably aghast at that time, no doubt, but, but I think he probably remembered those eyes and, and that Jesus hadn't given up on him. What about St. Jerome? St. Jerome said the face of Jesus will continue to save each time we have recourse to it, invoking his aid. Show us your face, and we shall be saved. St. Gregory the Great, St. Gertrude, St. John Chrysostom, the, the Golden Mouth, the great preacher, St. Ambrose, as I mentioned before, St. Bernard, St. Charles Borromeo, John Bosco, Francis of Assisi, St. Catherine of Siena. These are, this is an all-star roster. St. Augustine himself and of course, St. Therese of the Child Jesus and of the Holy Face, they all were so big on this devotion. In fact, here's a little, one last quote from St. Therese herself. She said, quote, how much good the Holy Face has done me during my life. And she, she always wanted to try to resemble Jesus, not, not physically, but, but in her character, in her actions. And that's what we can do. Think about that WWJD bracelet that people used to wear. What would Jesus do? That's what Christian means. It means little Christ. We're supposed to replicate the life of Christ in our situation. And, and what would Jesus do in your shoes? That's something we can really think about during this Lent. She also said this, quote, The just will recognize Jesus not only by the cross, the symbol of salvation, which will precede his coming, but more exactly by his face, which will shine on the last day. End of quote. Wow, what a powerful 
statement from St. Therese. Well, we'll have much more. Got to take a quick break right now on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. If you want to react to this, you can call in right now, 888-914-9149. But when we come back from the break, I'm going to be sharing some beautiful reminiscences of the late Bishop David O'Connell. I don't want to focus so much on his death, but on his life and who he was as a man of God. Right after the break, 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show. Hi, this is Kale Clark. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. They're a pro-life phone company and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. For a limited time, new customers who mention offer code Relevant Radio get a free phone with free activation and free shipping. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Have a question? Give Kale a call at 888-914-9149. I feel like Louis Armstrong is about to say, Hey, this AIDS go marching in. All right, well, hey, there he is. Marching in. This is a classic staple of Mardi Gras from Satchmo. Well, you know, hopefully we're all living saints. That's that's the hope and that's that's the goal that we're all striving for. Anybody who is in heaven is a saint. And so the saints, of course, who are canonized, we know that they are in heaven. They've given us some evidence. They have answered prayer through their intercession. Miracles have been wrought. And a lot of people are praying for the repose of the soul, of course, of Bishop David O'Connell. Uh, the tragic news uh, that took place a couple days ago that he was murdered, and a lot of people are just in shock, disbelief. Archbishop uh, Jose Gomez of Los, a- Los Angeles was, was in tears at a press conference, just uh, so distraught at the death of his friend. And speaking of friends of Bishop O'Connell, uh, Matt Meeks is somebody who knew him well, and he posted uh, some personal memories of Bishop O'Connell that really shed light on the kind of person he was, the kind of holy soul that he had as a bishop. And, and, and I think that as this starts to trickle out, you get a sense of, of, of the man, his soul, his faith, and there's so much here that we can emulate. And he, he, posted, he posted this on, on, on Facebook, and he said this. This is uh, Matt Meeks speaking. He said, quote, Sunday morning, I woke up to the news of the murder of my friend, Bishop David O'Connell. When I first saw the news, I reread the headline of the article over and over so my sleepy eyes could catch up with my brain. I was instantly sad, but not surprised. This is the way I would expect him to go. He wasn't the type of man to peacefully drift into death in old age. He had too much passion for that. He tricked death into bringing about new life for too long. He lived like the apostles of old. And when you live like that, the spirit of the world doesn't let you drift off to sleep. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Let me continue with the the memories of, of Matt Meeks, a friend of the late Bishop David O'Connell, who was killed tragically a couple of days ago in Los Angeles. Murdered, in fact. This is what uh, Matt Meek says, quote, But God is always up to something. 
And as the details of his murder came out, I look forward to seeing how he has tricked death once again in sprouting new life. No doubt many will come to life in Christ through this, including the poor soul who sought to end his life. So he gives 11 facts about uh, Bishop David O'Connell that he is just not seeing reported in the mainstream media or even in the Catholic media. So this will really help us to get a sense of what he was like. I want to start with something kind of light. Uh, And and he saves this for last, so I'm going to talk about this first. He was actually a comedian, and this is amazing. What what he would do sometimes to blow off steam, it's got to be really stressful being a bishop. To blow off steam, what he would do sometimes is Bishop David would just go to comedy clubs, and he, he would wear his favorite flannel shirt, and he'd go up on stage and just try to make people laugh. And they had no idea who he was. And, and to, to give you an idea of how funny he is, here's a joke that he told during a talk one time. Check this out. We have to try and be happy, right? There's um, a story about the couple who were out for their 25th anniversary, and they had a nice little restaurant, nice bottle of wine. And um, during the meal, the wife began to speak and said, I want to thank you all these years you stood by me. You never let me down. I could turn to you in good times and bad times. You always helped me make it through. You were always there for me to help me and to give me consolation. The husband goes, that's just the wine talking. And, and, and the wife said, I'm talking to the wine. <laughs> <laughs> So Bishop David O'Connell was often a stand-up comedian and uh, obviously had a great sense of humor. Here's another fact about him that you probably don't know. Before becoming a bishop, he was actually a pastor in very violent neighborhoods in the Los Angeles area that were uh, infiltrated by gangs. And this is according to to Matt Meeks, who knew him. This was actually where uh, Bishop O'Connell's heart really was. And when he was pastor at St. Michael's Parish, he used to walk around his parish boundaries and he would consecrate the entire area to St. Michael the Archangel. And after he started doing this, violence, <laughs> I don't think it was a coincidence at all, violence actually dropped precipitously uh, in his parish boundaries. Here's another thing that people didn't know about him. He would just find homeless people on the street, men, women, people who were down and out, and he would talk to them. He would also give them jobs to do. So he'd say to somebody, hey, I need somebody to paint our gym. Can you do this? Or I need a fence put up. Can you help me? It would kind of give them purpose in life, and he, he would pay them for their work. And then these people started actually going to Mass. And Matt Meek says, for this and so many other reasons, a once-dead parish of St. Michael's came roaring back to life. Fact number three that people didn't know about Bishop David O'Connell. He also worked with the police and community leaders to broker peace during periods of gang violence and and, and unrest uh, in the past in Los Angeles. Number four. He actually taught a full theology of the body course at his parish. And this is really beautiful because a lot of the people who would attend these classes, and if you don't know what the theology of the body is, most people have heard about it by now, but this is a sublime teaching of St. John Paul II on the meaning of the human body, what it means to be male, what it means to be female, created in the image of God, and oh, how we need that in these confusing times. The meaning of marriage, celibacy, uh, human sexuality, and God's plan. 
this is so needed in our culture. And he used to teach this. And a lot of people in his class were people who had left a life of prostitution, uh, drug addicts, and, and others who were really rediscovering their dignity as children of God. And so it's just so beautiful. Number five, five is the fifth thing that people didn't know uh, that's shared by Matt Meeks, a friend of the late Bishop David O'Connell. He himself lived in poverty. Now, bishops are paid a salary, just as priests are. I'm sure it's you know, not exactly extravagant, but um, what he would do would be this. He would take his bishop's salary, and he would use it, huge chunks of it to pay the rent of other people. And Matt Meek says, I only know this because I know multiple people and multiple families who told me specifically that Bishop Dave was helping them out. So he didn't make a big deal of this. He did this all on the QT, uh, under the radar, but he was really helping out a lot of people. Number six, he dropped everything. He would just drop everything he was doing in order to pray with someone, to speak words of healing, consolation, and love. And Matt Meek says, I saw this over and over and over again. Number seven, he was spiritual director to more people than I can count at all levels of society. Number eight, he went out and knocked on people's doors just to get to know people, talk to them about Jesus, and see how he could help them. And number nine, he actually he hated that priests had to move around so much. And, and that's the way it is in a lot of uh, diocesan life, that there's sort of a time limit on how long you can be... Uh, if you're an assistant priest, your, your time is usually a lot shorter. Um, I think it varies depending on where you live and where you are, but where I live, a, a priest can only be a pastor of a parish for 12 years. That's kind of the limit. And so your mileage may vary, but, but he just didn't like that. The priest would, would have to move around. And he said this, quote, this is uh, Bishop David O'Connell. He said, a priest marries his people, and I just want to be with my flock, end of quote. He loved them, and he never wanted to leave them. And in fact, this leads to the last point. Uh, Matt Meek says that Bishop O'Connell told him that the greatest pain of his life was when he was appointed bishop. When he got the call, he actually became depressed. <laughs> he didn't want to do this. And I, I think it's kind of a good sign spiritually, because anybody who has designs on being a bishop, who wants to be a bishop, that's a guy you don't want to be bishop. It's like the guy who wants to be pope. Uh, no. And so uh, this is not what he wanted to do. But when he got the call, he, he got a little depressed. But he, he followed in obedience, and he didn't know where the path would lead. But Matt Meek says because he walked that path, he actually wound up touching so many more lives, became a spiritual father to countless people around the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, to so many priests, so many families, so many apostolates. The world is better for it. But for him... It was about each and every personal relationship. So I just think that is a really beautiful tribute to the life, to the ministry of Bishop David O'Connell. May he rest in peace. And let's all together pray right now. Let's pray a Hail Mary for the repose of his soul. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And of course, at the heart of the Hail Mary prayer is the word, Jesus.
Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And one of his favorite prayers, one of his favorite things to do, Bishop O'Connell, was to invoke the name of Jesus in prayer. And we've got a little clip from a talk that he gave where he speaks about exactly this. All you have to do is say the name Jesus in your heart. He knows where you're wounded, where you're hurt, where you're damaged, and he knows how to heal you. I tell people you might have a, you might have a million wounds in your heart and your soul, but every time you say his name with love in your heart, he heals one more wound, far from your heart. Because healing comes through the heart, not through the head. You know the story of the guy falling over the cliff and hanging onto the branch, and the branches begin to creak a bit, and, to, and he says, Help, help, is there anybody up there? And then a voice says, Yes, this is God. Oh, great, thanks be to God. Can you help me? And then God says, Yes, I can. Do you trust me? Yes, God, I trust you completely. God says, Okay, let go. He goes, Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> Well, my beautiful brothers and sisters, doing the prayer of the heart is like letting go. This is the original way of letting go and letting God. It's just to let him, let him take over. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Thank you for joining me on this Mardi Gras, 888 9149 is the number to call in, 888-914-9149. If you want to react to the things we've been talking about on the show thus far, we talked about some incredible private revelations that were given to St. Faustina, St. Margaret Mary, about Mardi Gras, all the sins that are committed during Carnival, how it wounds the heart, the sacred heart of Christ. We also talked about uh, the tragic murder of Bishop David O'Connell and a reflection on the man uh, from one who knew him. It was just a beautiful spiritual tribute. We also had some audio from Bishop O'Connell. So if you missed that, uh, please do uh, check out the podcast. It will be available shortly after we go off air at relevantradio.com, the relevant radio app, and wherever you get your podcasts, we are there as well. So if you want to call in, once again, the number to call is 888 Nine one four nine, and uh, there's a uh, of course uh, I don't know if you've heard of the pillar. It's a Catholic journalism outfit. Um, they report that it's so rare that that something like this would happen that that a bishop uh, would be killed by homicide. In fact, it hasn't happened in the United States since Archbishop Charles Seghers was shot in Alaska in the year 1886, and he was shot actually by a a, a wilderness guide. They're walking across. Uh, Bishop Seggers and, and his guide were walking and hiking together across the Alaskan wilderness, and um, the guide shot him. And, and I don't know really what the circumstances were, but uh, it's incredibly rare. <laughs> we can be thankful for that. Uh, but what an unspeakable tragedy. 888 Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to John in California in, in, in Encinitas, I think, in California, right? Is that correct, John? Yeah, it's Encinitas. It's Spanish for little oaks. Oh, I like that. Beautiful. So what, what are your so, thoughts? I, I'm a big fan of Augustine. And mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite quotes of his is something that's a discipline. And um, 
you know, Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, mm-hmm. Fat Tuesday, you know, people um, uh, erroneously put things, the cart before the horse, etc. And St. Augustine said, some people have the feast first, hmm. then the headache. <laughs> Others, the fast first, then the feast. Hmm. I like that. I like that. Yeah. He's obviously yeah. probably referencing so, that. People, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, people in, in sports, you know, that um, celebrate coming up and rising up, and then they they erroneously, you know, uh, celebrate their coming of age. And you look at the great athletes, they sacrifice, 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 you know. Yeah. And so, like St. Paul, they can say, I ran the race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I run the race. Yeah, I, 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 and he talks about pummeling his body. Uh, he doesn't box as one beating the air. Yeah, he's so many ath- athletic metaphors in his writings, and and one of the reasons for that is uh, he especially brings this up in his um, letters to the Corinthians. In Corinth, there was a series of games that were called the Ithmian Games, the Isthmus of Corinth, and it was second only to the Olympics in prominence. And he says, "Hey, these guys." train and fight and battle and discipline themselves to to wear this crown it was made of withered celery literally i mean that was their reward and he's like hey we're looking for an eternal crown here and so the athletic metaphor is particularly apt during lent and it's a we all need to become spiritual athletes that's for sure not uh not armchair athletes in the catholic life hey john much for for listening to the kale clark show and playing in as well let's go now to freddie in richmond california hi freddie Hello, how are you doing? Um, I was about to keep it short, so I'm going to go really fast. Uh, I want to make a, a comment on the holy face of Jesus. Uh, I'm sure. originally from Mexico, and mm-hmm. um, I never heard of this, so I'm very excited about it. And uh, many years ago, this image was found. I believe it was, it was 1846. And um, so the backside of this image is a rock, just okay. common rock. The front of it is the face. Of Jesus Christ in the flesh, hmm. and uh, and we're venerating this for since ever since. Uh, many years ago, I asked my mom when I was a kid why we haven't brought this to the world to get it canonized properly, and they were like, "No, no, 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 no! They will take it away from us." And it's so has done so many miracles, and it's so amazing to watch. I've seen it in the back. I've witnessed the miracles. The back of it is a rock. The front of it is the face of Jesus with a crown of thorns, just like you're looking at anybody in front of you. That's how it is. It, it's, okay. it's beautiful. So, so it's an image of the holy face that, that originates in Mexico, and and not a lot of people know about it outside of, of Mexico, I take it. So so that's it. that's intriguing, and, and a lot of miracles have been wrought uh, through this. Interesting. It, yeah, it, I, was, I, it, was found, it was found in a water well by a woman, I believe in 1846. 1846. And do they? Is there a special name for this image? Yes, it, we called it. Uh, well, in English, it will be divine face of Jesus. Okay. That, that's and how we a call Spanish it. Name and, as well. Okay. Yes. So basically, I use that translation, and, and it's so hmm. amazing that uh, I hope you can Google it, and you'll see hmm. how amazing this is. Because this is not this is not a painting. This is. Uh, Personally, I've seen it smile. You can see the changes when he's smiling and when he's not, when he's serious. 
Uh, I uh, please Google it, and then you you you'll remember this conversation. Okay, well, I'll check it out. So, so an image that was discovered in Mexico in 1846, the divine face. All right. So, hey, thanks for uh, alerting us to that, Freddie. And I didn't know about that. I, I don't know anything about it, but uh, I'll certainly inquiring minds want to know, like we talked about on the show yesterday. And I will certainly uh, try to dig up some info on that. That's that's intriguing. And and like I said earlier, so many saints uh, throughout history have had this devotion to the Holy Face, and the popes have, have really encouraged uh, venerating uh, the face of Christ and, and just thinking about the face of Christ. And one pope said, this will save the modern world. And <laughs> the modern world certainly needs saving, doesn't it? And and of course, as we talked about before, the, the image really derives from the Shroud of Turin. And if the Shroud is the burial shroud of Jesus Christ, then we have essentially a picture, an image of the face of Christ, which is marvelous to think about. And in fact, there have been some great uh, and well-known images of Christ in art. I think of the famous Pantocrator image uh, that became very popular in the East. I don't know if you've seen this, but they say that this is actually patterned after the face on the shroud. It was uh, kind of an icon that was constructed in the early centuries of the church. And there, there I don't know exactly how many, but there are many dozens of points of comparison between the face on this image and the face on the shroud. It's almost like they used it as as a template. And I was very, very uh, graced and blessed uh, uh, during my education, my grad school years, to study under Professor Gary Habermas. And Gary Habermas is probably the world's leading expert on the resurrection of Jesus. He's written volumes about it, and he's just so prolific. And whatever he would present on the resurrection, and I just I just love his teaching on this, he would really never use the shroud. He would never really talk about it. And I once asked him about this, and he said, well, you know, I, I personally think the shroud is legitimate, but you don't need to use it to prove the resurrection. But But if it is, in fact a true relic, then, then we've really got something here that, that just kind of adds to uh, what we already know. And scientists have looked at the Shroud, and in fact, uh, Dr. Habermas used to hang out with a lot of them and did a lot of research with them. And the original scientific team that examined the Shroud in the late 70s, one of the guys who was part of that team was the official photographer, and his name was Barry Schwartz. And his first name is spelled B-A-R-R-I-E, and I think Schwartz is, if I'm not mistaken, S-H-W-O-R-T-Z. At any rate, if you Google this guy, Barry Schwartz, he did an interview on EWTN, which you can find on YouTube. It's, it's an incredibly compelling interview this guy Barry Schwartz did. Now, he was a secular Jew, and I don't know if he's converted to Christianity or Catholicism at this point, but... It wouldn't shock me if he has by now, because he is absolutely convinced that the Shroud is authentic, and working with the original team that examined it. And one of the big questions was, how did the image get on the Shroud? Because it can't be explained by modern science. And what some have postulated, I think uh, the head of radiology at UCLA Med School, he said that he thought it was caused by a radioactive scorch, which is intriguing. This idea that when the body of Jesus somehow passed through the shroud, that it just gave off so much energy that it almost branded the image of his body uh, onto the cloth. And it, right up there with, of course, the tilma of St. Juan Diego, 
these are two miraculous images that, that cannot be explained by modern science, the shroud and the tilma. But in, in talking about the shroud, uh, Dr. Habermas usually debunked a lot of, a lot of people want to try to use the history of the shroud to try to debunk its authenticity. Uh, a lot of people want to say, for example, that there is no historical record of the shroud before the 13th century. A lot of people want to say it's a medieval fake. And they have found some parts of cloth around the edges of the shroud that do date from the Middle Ages, but they were sewn on later. They were sewn on later. The shroud was damaged in a fire at one point, and they just kind of wanted it to, to be a square cloth, so they, they added some stuff to it. But the original image itself is first century. But I remember uh, Dr. Habermas saying that way, way before the 13th century, there is lots of evidence for the shroud. In fact, there's one that goes all the way back to the second century, and that comes from this guy named Braulio of Seville. I've heard of the Barber of Seville, but I've never heard of the Braulio of Seville. But anyway, so this guy, Braulio of Seville, uh, is mentioning the shroud in the second century. There's a homily that's given about the shroud by a church official, and there's actually some, some paintings of the face of Jesus that were clearly based, just like this Pantocrator image that I mentioned earlier, they're clearly based on the shroud, the image on the shroud, the exact position of numerous bruises even were reproduced in the paintings. Um, there's also, by the way, a tradition, an early uh, Catholic tradition, that a cloth that contained the imprint of the face of Jesus was carried by Thaddeus, one of the disciples of our Lord, to a small kingdom in what is today Turkey, in the country of Turkey. It's called Edessa. So allegedly Thaddeus took this mysterious cloth with an imprint of Jesus' face to Edessa, and it stayed there for several hundred years, where it was then moved to the city of Constantinople. And from there, you can kind of track the history of the shroud. It wound up being taken to several cities in France, and then it eventually wound up in, of course, Turin, Italy. So we have here historical citations from all the way back in the second century. There's a sermon about the shroud. There's these paintings. But there's also, believe it or not, there's scientific data that's out there that confirms the movement of the shroud. We can reconstruct it all the way back to the first century. There's a botanist from Switzerland named Max Frey. Max Frey, F-R-E-I. And he actually, this is amazing, he found pollen on the shroud that's native to Palestine. Think about that. And now, this is, this is intriguing. He found pollen on the shroud from Palestine and also from Turkey. And in fact, he found at least six different species of pollen on the shroud and, and that were like totally native to Israel. And so think about this. The shroud had not been out of France or Italy since the 14th century. So it had to have been in Israel and in Turkey earlier to, to get this pollen. So I think, I think really what makes the most sense here is that the shroud was taken from Israel eventually you know, to Turkey, to France, and then Italy. So th that's, that's really intriguing. Um, but again, most of the questions about the shroud are, are whether or not it dates to the first century. The pollen helps with that. But um, additionally, the, the linen material, by the way, Habermas used to talk about how the linen material and the weave of the shroud They've had textile experts look at this, 
And they think, man, this is totally consistent with the way it was done at the time of Jesus, plus or minus 100 years. So for what it's worth, that that's not bad. That's not bad. Now, here's something else that kind of freaks people out about the shroud. Whoever the person was that was buried in the shroud, and I, I, I personally think it was Jesus, but whoever it was, there were coins placed over the eyes of the man in the shroud. And you say, what on earth is that all about? Well, there, there are a lot of different theories on this. Um, some think it's for paying the toll passage over the river Styx, you know, common conception of the afterlife. But it, there was a practice, and this was known to be done by Jews in the first century, where they would do this. They'd place coins over the eyes of someone who was being buried. Now, they've done, with, with high-tech photography, they've been able to enhance the image of the shroud. And there was a report that came out uh, somewhere in the early 80s, I think around 1980, 1981, that the coins over the eyes on the shroud were actually, they, they identified Greek letters and the, and they actually designed, they, they figured out the design was very common during the reign of Pontius Pilate. That were, you see these coins that were minted in the years AD 29 to AD 32, which is exactly the time, by the way, in case you didn't know, when Jesus of Nazareth was crucified under the orders of Pontius Pilate. So it's pretty breathtaking stuff to think about the Shroud. And, and we can talk about the Shroud as we as we go on during our Lenten journey, as we get into Holy Week, as we've been to uh, reconstruct uh, the life and death of Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's something we need to, to think about uh, in great detail. And one way that you can really prepare for Lent, it's not too late, by the way, to get in on Lenten Lessons on the Mass by Father Rocky. Now, one of the great things about the Mass is that we are made present to the salvific events, the passion, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. We are there. Supernatural time travel, the one sacrifice of Christ represented to us. We are represented to it. And so... This is amazing, and it happens at every Mass. So a lot of great factoids, great details, great inspiration on the Mass can be had in this series. You can sign up very, very easily. Just go to relevantradio.com slash Lent and make sure that you sign up today. Uh, these uh, wonderful videos from Father Rocky, they're really short, will be sent to your inbox every morning. They'll be there uh, when you wake up, after you do your morning prayer, your morning offering. You can check it out. It might give you a lot of food for thought, as hopefully you go to Mass that day if, if you're able to. It's a good thing to do. It might be a great thing to do to try to get to a daily Mass more often during Lent, which starts tomorrow. Tomorrow's Ash Wednesday. And speaking of Father Rocky, he's going to be at Ave Maria University. Uh, we have such a great partnership with them, and we're so uh, happy with the work that they're doing for the kingdom. And we're so glad that they partnered with us here at Relevant Radio once again. And Father Rocky will be on the campus of Ave Maria tomorrow for the Family Rosary Across America. And of course, you'll still be tonight doing the rosary as well. That's coming up after Trending, which is next right here on Relevant Radio. So thanks for joining me today for the Kale Clark Show. And I hope it's been a pleasure for you. It's certainly been a pleasure for me to talk with you. Jim Shaper produced a great job, Jim, with those audio clips from the bishop. Patrick Alock took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.